I'd like to begin this morning by sharing with you, if you don't mind, what I consider to be one of the crowning moments in my parenthood. I hope it's not the crowning moment because I've got lots of years and this is the only thing I can remember with joy when I'm older. It's going to be tough. But it's one of my fondest memories right now. When Tessa was about two and a half years old, we'd gone to visit my family over in Blyville, Arkansas. It's when they all lived over there. And my brother Brad, who most of you now know, and I were in the backyard And I almost hate to admit this to you here in this context, but it's true. We were playing with some toy lightsabers. Now, keep in mind that Brad was 14 at the time. And I was still 14 at heart. And so we were out there just wailing on each other with these toy swords. Tessa was standing behind Brad, and he accidentally let go of his. And it caught her right beneath the eye and left about a one-inch gash underneath her right eye. Well, of course, blood's going everywhere. She's screaming and hollering. Marita's screaming and hollering. We get to the doctor, and he puts her down on this table, and he starts coming at her. Here's the strange man coming at her with this big old long needle, because you know what he's going to do. He's going to stick it in there and numb it so he could sew it shut. Well, Tessa, of course, had no idea what was coming. She's just been cut by her uncle, and now some stranger is approaching her with this three-inch long needle sticking it toward her eye. What was she doing? She was screaming and hollering and thrashing about and it causing just all kinds of problems. And so, as calmly as I possibly could, I, I held Tessa's hand and I said, Tessa, sweetheart, I know it hurts. I know this is bad and I know this guy's a stranger. And I know what we've told you about strangers, but he's a doctor and he's about to fix your eye. Now, in order to do that, Tessa... He's got to stick this needle in here, and it's going to put some medicine in there, and it's going to make it where you can't feel anything. And then he's going to take a needle, and he's going to sew it shut. Now, sweetheart, when he sticks this needle near your eye, it's probably going to hurt a little bit. But you just have to trust me. This is what the doctor needs to do to be able to fix your eye. Do you trust me? (laughs) All right. Then just be still and let him take care of this. And you know what she did? She laid there like daddy's little trooper and she just sat there and he put that needle in there and filled it with that medicine and he took that needle and sewed it shut and she laid there. I I think she whimpered a little bit. When we got done, the doctor said to me, well, either you're a good dad or you just beat your kids so much they're scared to death of you. (laughs) I hope it's the first one. That's what I'm hoping. But the reason why this is such a crowning moment for me is because I really want my kids to trust me. I understand that there might come a day when their safety depends on trusting me. And so I work very hard. We go through little exercises about this to get my kids to trust me. And there was a day when at two and a half years old, my daughter trusted me. And I hope she still trusts me implicitly. And I hope she continues to do so for years to come. But when I think about that as a father myself and how much I want my children to trust me, and I imagine every father in this auditorium can understand that same feeling, I can imagine that our Heavenly Father also wants us, His children, to trust Him with that same kind of implicit trust. In fact, I imagine that that was partly behind Jesus' statement that we're to be converted like little children because of the trust that little children have with their parents. And He wants us to have that kind of trust 
with our Father. Therefore, I want us to ask a very serious question. Do you trust God? Do you really trust Him implicitly as a little child trusts a father and a mother with your life and with your soul? As we begin this, we first need to recognize that we can trust God. We can trust God because God never lies. He always tells the truth. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, the Hebrew writer points out to us, referring back to God's involvement with Abraham and the promises that he had given at that time, he says in Hebrews 6 and verse 18, that by two unchangeable things, the first of which, in which it is impossible for God to lie. God never lies. God always keeps His promises. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, all the way back in the old law, we're informed at that time in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, God explained to His children that they could trust Him because He never lied. He always told the truth, always kept His promises. He said in Deuteronomy 7 and 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. God keeps His promises down to the thousandth generation for those who love Him. He cannot lie. And so we can trust Him. Secondly, we can trust God because our God is able to do what He, was pro- what he has promised. Certainly we can take a person who promises things and we know that they mean well, but they just can't do what they've promised. We can't trust them. But we can trust God because God not only always keeps His promises, but He is able to keep His promises. He is that powerful in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now, to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we ask or think, to Him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus forever. Amen. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we ask or think. He can keep His promises. He can do whatever He promises to do. He can do more than we can even imagine Him doing. More than we can even ask or think about Him doing. Our God can do that. We can trust Him because He is able. This is the God who spoke the world and the heavens into existence. This is the God who by His power keeps it maintained and sustained. This is the God that by His power parted the Red Sea before Moses. This is the God who by His power opened the earth to swallow Korah and his rebellion. This God is powerful and He can do things that we cannot even imagine doing. And so we can trust Him. He is able. But not only does He always do what He says, not only is He able, we can trust Him because He loves us. And He has our best interests at heart. Look in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, discusses prayer. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9, Jesus says this, What man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven 
Give what is good to those who ask Him. Here is our good Father in heaven. He is willing to keep His promises. He is willing to take care of us. He loves us. And He is going to do what is good for us. And we can trust Him implicitly. We can put our faith in Him. He's demonstrated His love for us in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God has demonstrated how much He is willing to do to accomplish our best interests. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. While we were enemies, God was looking out for what was best for us and went so far as to sacrifice His Son. Does that sound like a father who is willing to put the best interests of his children at heart? We can trust Him because He never lies. He always keeps His promises. He's able to do more than we can even imagine. And He loves us. He wants what is best for us. He wants to keep His promises to us. And finally, we can trust Him because He's demonstrated over and over again how trustworthy He is. The Bible has been given to us and we can read the stories of God's interaction with man and we can find that God has always always come through for His children. He has always fulfilled His promises. He has always done what He has said. He has always been able to deliver His people. He has always been trustworthy. Look in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find a list of people with whom God had worked and promises and things that He had said to them. And every single time, What God said would eventually happen, happened. He demonstrated His trustworthiness. We see about Abel, Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham, and Sarah, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and Rahab, Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and the prophets, all these. God demonstrated Himself trustworthy. Study those stories that we find highlighted here in Hebrews chapter 11 and see that our God is trustworthy. We can trust Him. We can put our faith in Him because our God is faithful. We can trust Him. But what I want to demonstrate to you for the most part this morning is not so much that we can trust Him but how we will live when we really recognize that God is faithful. We're going to be spending the rest of our sermon here in Hebrews chapter 11 looking at these people with whom God was faithful. And we're going to be taking some of them and learning, looking at how they lived because these people trusted God and God proved Himself trustworthy. These people had faith in God and God proved Himself faithful. I'd like to examine some of the things that they did so that we can see how we ought to live when we trust God. And then we ask the question, do I really trust God? This is more than a Bible class question. This is more than me just saying, all right, how many of you trust God? And we raised our hands, oh yeah, I trust Him. We need to look at our lives. Because if we're not living as these people live, we can say all day long here when we're with our brethren that we trust God. 
but we don't. We've got to live as these people live. And that is trusting God. The very first thing that we recognize, if we trust God, we're going to follow wherever God leads. Look in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. What a phenomenal statement of faith. God said, Abraham, get up and leave. I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to give to your descendants. It's going to be yours. We're going to go there. And Abraham left town. He had no idea where God was taking him. Where is following these commands going to lead? He didn't know. But he trusted God. He trusted the one who was making these promises. He trusted the one that was giving the call. And so what did he do? He just followed him. Wherever God was going to lead, Abraham was going to go. Because he trusted God. That is trusting God. Are you willing to follow God wherever He leads? Are you willing just to open His book and just do whatever it says and wherever it takes you, you're going to go? Because that's trusting God. Secondly, we accept God's Word. Back up into verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. God told Noah, Noah, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to cause it to rain on the earth so hard that it's going to kill everybody. And if you want to be saved, you better build this big, huge boat. And I'm going to put, we're going to put all these animals on it to save the animals through this huge flood. Noah had never seen a flood. It's possible that Noah had never even seen rain. I imagine that Noah thought to himself, how on earth are we going to get all these animals on this boat? How is this going to work? How can water falling from the sky destroy everything and kill everybody on the earth? He hadn't seen it. He didn't understand it. But he trusted the one telling him it was going to happen. He accepted God's Word. If God says it's going to be this way, then this is the way it's going to be. If God said, here's how to prepare for it, then here's how I'm going to prepare for it. Noah accepted God's Word, even when he couldn't understand it, even when he couldn't imagine it. He accepted it. That's trusting God. Do you accept God's Word even when it goes against your preconceived notions? Even when it says things that you weren't expecting? Do you trust God? Thirdly, we ignore momentary pleasures. Look down in the chapter beginning at about verse 24. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, it says regarding Moses, "...by faith, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter." choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. Moses had learned that he was not to be the Egyptian. He was to be one of God's chosen people. And when he grew up, he made a choice. A choice that sacrificed a great deal in this life. 
riches, pleasures, power and fame, prestige among the people. But he trusted God. He believed that God's reward would be greater than sin's reward. And so he made a choice every day to ignore the passing pleasures of sin. To ignore the rewards that sin offered. To accept the reward that God offered. That's trusting God. Do you believe that God's rewards will be greater than sin's rewards? Are you willing to sacrifice and ignore the pleasures that Satan offers you on a daily basis in order to serve God, turning your back on those things of the world in order to honor your Father in heaven? Do you trust God? If we really trust God, we will trust God's promises. Take a look at Sarah. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered Him faithful who had promised. This one really comforts me because we all know what Sarah did when she first heard that she was going to have a child. you remember that? What did Sarah do? She laughed. Had to be rebuked. But here this passage tells us that it was because of her faith that she was able to conceive. Trusting God doesn't mean that we've never ever had any doubts. It does mean we overcome those doubts. And that's what Sarah did. She overcame her doubts and she trusted God because she realized the one who has promised this is faithful. If he said that I'm going to have a child, then I am going to have a child. If he says that if we seek first his kingdom and righteousness, that he'll have all these other things, then he's going to do it. If he promised that there is an inheritance reserved for those who are kept by faith, then there is. If he's promised us that in the end we'll be resurrected, in new glorified bodies to be with Him forever, then He will. If He's promised us that He'll take care of us, He'll keep His promises. He is faithful. Do you trust God's promises? Because that is trusting God. Do you trust God? But more than just saying, I trust God, I trust God's promises, those who trust God hold on to those promises. It's what they're planning their lives around. It's what they're focusing on. It's what they're living for. It's what they're looking into the future based upon. Look at verse 22. This is a phenomenal statement. I'm not sure until this week that I'd ever really made the connection here. In Hebrews 11 and verse 22, By faith, Joseph, when he was dying in Egypt, he made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Do you see what's happening there? Remember when their father died, what did they do? They asked for permission. We're going to take him back and bury him in the cave back at Machpelah. Joseph dies, and instead of saying, take me back right now, he said, I know y'all are going back one day. We're not going to take a trip now. You just take me back when you go. Why? Because he believed God's promises. He was planning 
based upon God's promises. He didn't just trust God. He didn't just verbally say, I trust God and I believe His promises. He made plans based upon God's promises. God says, we're going back. Y'all take me back with you when you go. Yes, it took nearly 400 years, but it happened. And guess what the children of Israel did on their way back? They got Joseph's bones and they took them with them. You see, Joseph trusted God. Do we plan based upon God's promises? Because that is trusting God. Do you trust God? When we trust God, we learn to fear Him and not men. In Hebrews 11 and verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And then in verse 27, By faith he, that's Moses again, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, they feared God more than they feared the edict of the king. Moses, when he grew up, he had that same trust in God, that same faith in God, so he feared God more than he feared the Pharaoh. What this demonstrates is that Amram and Jochebed and Moses would much rather face the wrath of a king than face the wrath of God. And so by faith, they followed in God's commands, not fearing man in the face of conflict and opposition, in the face of those who would oppose them and ridicule them, berate them, even try to kill them. They feared God more than man and they walked by faith because of it. That's trusting God. Do you fear God more than man? Following His will even when those who might be closest to you will oppose it and oppose you because of it? That's faith. That's trusting God. Do you trust Him? When we trust God, we learn that we'll undergo testing and we'll undergo trials. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. God had said, in Isaac your descendants are going to be called. But then God said, kill him. And what was Abraham going to do? He's going to do it. But the Hebrew writer says it was a test. He was undergoing testing. It was a trial. When we trust God, we will go through trials and testing. In fact, when we trust God, actually, I should back up and say our trust is formed by trials and testing. It's when we go through the trials and when we go through the tests and we hang on to God, holding on to His promises, and we see that God does pull through for us, that's where trust is formed. Faith is formed in us in the crucible of fire. 
One Jewish rabbi spoke of the faith of Job, another person who trusted God. And he made this comment, which I think is insightful. He said that faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it was formed by being shaken. It was going through the shaking and holding on to God that caused the faith. We can't say that we trust God until we've gone through the testing and we've lived with Him and stuck with Him. Because that's really trusting God. Do you trust God? And finally, we'll trust God when we believe He's faithful. We'll leave our home country behind. In verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Let's be careful. I know he says they hadn't received the promises. This is not saying that God was untrustworthy. It's saying that God gave promises and He fulfilled them on His timetable and their promises were not fulfilled within the lives of Abraham and Sarah. God had promised them, I'm going to make you a mighty nation and that hadn't happened while Abraham was alive. He said, I'm going to give you this land and He hadn't done it by the time Abraham died. He said, I'm going to bring through you a blessing to all nations and it hadn't occurred yet when Abraham and Sarah left the earth. But they saw it. They knew it was coming because they trusted God and they welcomed that as from a distance. But here's the key. Even though God was working on His timetable, even though things weren't happening exactly the way Abraham and Sarah might have thought they would happen, what did they do? They continued on with God. They didn't go back to Haran. They didn't go back to Ur of the Chaldees saying, well, it's not working out the way God said. They had left their home country behind. They had forsaken it. And they were plugging along, doing what God has said, following God wherever He leads, accepting His Word, trusting His promises, holding on to His promises, undergoing testing and trial. And they weren't going to look back. You remember Lot's wife? She looked back and became a pillar of salt. But Abraham and Sarah wouldn't look back. They had left their home country behind. They had coupled themselves with God, and no matter what happened, they were going to continue to do it. Trusting God means trusting Him over the long haul. Whether things go the way you expect it or not, whether they happen on your timetable or not, trusting God means I come into His fold, and I stick with Him, and I don't look back. That's trusting God. Do you trust God? Our God is faithful. We can trust Him. The question is, do we trust Him? The rewards for trusting God are phenomenal. Moses, he recognized that the reward for trusting God was far greater than the reward of sin. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, we just read it in verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Wouldn't you like to be able to stand before God in judgment and Him look at you and say, I was not ashamed to be called your God. I am glad that you called me your God. I wanted everybody to know that I am your God and that you followed me because you made me proud. 
Wouldn't you like to hear that? That's what God says happens when we trust Him. He's not ashamed to be called our God. And He's prepared a better city for us, a heavenly city. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about the reward that awaits for us. Verse 3, 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. This is 1 Peter 1, 4. An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Protected through faith. Protected because you trust God. That's what's awaiting us when we trust Him. What a reward. And so the question is, do you trust Him?